Hey, everybody, I want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast, where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. And man, does it get hard sometimes. That is why we do what we do on these podcast episodes, Before You Quit. My name is Mitch Schultz, and I am your host and also the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry, which provides support and encouragement to those struggling with the daily uh, difficulties and challenges of ministry. Uh, Today I'm interviewing for the third time my good friend, uh, Professor Rich Griffiths from Toccoa Falls College. Uh, We have talked two other times uh, more generally about uh, this generation, Gen Z, some of the challenges that Christian community is facing, particularly in that that community. Uh, But today we're going to be specifically talking about sexuality, Gen Z and sexuality, um, the struggles, the, the worldview, the approach to gender issues. Uh, this is going to be a very honest conversation, uh, heavy at times, but I think one that is full of hope and encouragement for us as believers and even for those who, who struggle with uh, these kind of issues. Professor Rich Griffiths is a professor of youth ministry at Toccoa Falls College. Uh, he's a single dad of three boys. And after serving time in the U.S. Army, he spent 29 years in youth ministry, uh, working exclusively in, in a variety of churches and parachurch settings, including Young Life. Uh, so uh, you'll hear his heart and his passion for this generation, but most importantly, his uh, heart and passion for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's go ahead and jump into that interview now. All right, well, I have the privilege of interviewing uh, Rich Griffith for the third time, and uh, some of these subjects kind of overlap, but I think today we're uh, going to be narrowing in more specifically on a particularly uh, you know, concerning subject. But anyway, good morning. Um, morning. I trust you're doing well today. Yeah, thanks for having me again. <laughs> well, good. Yeah, I'm excited about this. Um, uh, you're only seven miles from me, but we thought it'd be easier to do this over Zoom. And uh, in fact, right before I called you, I knocked my coffee over. Oh, no. And, and then, yeah, I know it's a waste of good coffee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, it really is. That's, you know, that's heartbreaking. <laughs> it is. It's, yeah, definitely. Nothing is worse. Okay, well, we're uh, so, so today we're specifically going to be talking, Rich, about uh, Gen Z and uh, th- this current generation and, and their biblical uh, worldview or their worldview on, on sexuality, particularly. Um, just perhaps just to remind us again who you are, what you do, and sure. then uh, if you could define Gen Z, and then let's start the conversation from there. Sure. Well, who I am, uh, most importantly, I'm a follower of Christ, which is important, right? Uh, And then I'm a a pastor, a professor, and a dad. So that's a whole lot of talking. Y'all can pray for my kids. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, my doctorate's in youth, family, and culture. I'm a professor at Tequila Falls College, and I'm completing a second master's degree. First was in theology. Second one is a master's in organizational leadership. So just uh, I'm a lifelong learner. How do we process things, right? How do we keep growing and learning? So that's a little bit about myself. Um, and I think to clarify, maybe to start out um, talking about what Gen Z is not, uh, <laughs> they're not millennials. Uh, millennials, their time frame birth years are 1981 to 96. A little bit of overlap. Gen Z is their birth years are 1995 to 2015. 
Mm-hmm. So that generational deal. Uh, I think we sometimes have some misperceptions both about millennials and Gen Z, right? Uh, and I think that just comes about as we get older, uh, we tend to separate more from those generations and stuff like that. So I think when it comes to their worldview, uh, even their Christianity, um, it uh, tends to be more fluid. I, I know the the common term, the academic term, has been liquid. Uh, uh, sorry, uh, liquid postmodernity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I like to describe it better, more as fluid, right? And this goes mm-hmm. even with our discussion about uh, fluid sexuality, fluid worldview, uh, fluid Christianity. Even a lot of folks, uh, you've heard about the terminology of nuns. There's been a lot of people who have, yeah, you know, when as a religious association, as far as institution, they're they're nuns, right? But they're mm-hmm. very spiritual. So Gen Z comes in that, but I think what happens with Gen Z is their values and their belief systems tend to be very much more fluid. Um, a lot of this is driven by technology. So you just, if there's anything I say you want to stop me on and just don't. No, no, keep going. It. This is fascinating. Yeah. So a lot of their views are, are fluid, constant changing. Uh, one of the things that's fascinating about this is it's driven by technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're open to way more worldviews than we used to be when we were growing up because of technology. You think about, I mean, think about what's going on right now in Ukraine, right? We're literally seeing a war fought out almost instantaneously through social media. Uh, yeah, from, from the ground. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. From the ground, from people's cell phones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and just the heart, uh, how do I say this? Um, the heartfelt pleas on the part of the president who's able to reach out to the world without even necessarily leaving a bunker mm-hmm. and, and some theory, right? It's really pretty wild. So technology really is driving it. So the way I put this is even though we have millennials and Gen Z, I suspect that even in Gen Z, because of the rapidity of change in culture is driven by technology, I almost like to say we have a Gen Z uh, A and a Gen Z B because <laughs> you're looking at a 20 year span. Yeah. And so Gen Z A, the cultural change is really when I say cultural, I should say really more um, generational change is really coming about not 20 years anymore. It's every five to well, seven five years. years. It's just yeah. Yeah. it's so hard to keep up with. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you and, and mentioned when we when we met last week or you know a week week and a half ago at your office just to prep for this. Uh, you you mentioned I thought this was fascinating that uh, we're we're not this generation is not being influenced by experts but by social influencers. Oh, and yeah, absolutely. Are, are social influencers generally Gen Zs themselves, and do they come with a common worldview, or is that is that where that fluidity comes in? Yeah, this is the fascinating thing about it. I mean, I think you and I are seeing this even as adults. Um, so how do I say this when we talk about expertise? So let's let's take our worldview as adults and where we look for news, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't mean to lambast anybody. So I, I guess I won't. I won't say specific news channels, mm-hmm. <laughs> but we both know that there are extremes in our worldview that in when it comes to media, it's not that they're necessarily reporting on news but they're actually reporting their opinion on the news. You're right. Right. It's a commentary. Right. Yeah. Right. So this has built in a sense of distrust mm-hmm. among younger, younger generations. So, and this has gone on, we've talked about in previous podcasts about um, systemic abandonment mm-hmm. and how young people are not getting the nurturing care they need from adults. So now tie all this together with social media, with fluid culture. And what happens is that, so your point is well taken and it's true that, uh, we have a generation that have been raised to, if they want to learn how to fix something or do something, go to YouTube. Mm-hmm. 
And so that has ingrained in their mind that the experts are on social media, whether they're experts or not. They don't know, you know, young people don't know how to do academically peer-reviewed research, right? Right. So, and so we put that with the systemic abandonment and not really being able to connect with adults. They are looking more mm-hmm. to their peers and the social media and the internet for what is, quote, um, you know, uh, the experts. Yeah, so 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 people follow who's popular, you know, right. more more than than perhaps what the the content is. You know, I'm thinking I I I have two listeners and I'm an influencer with my podcast. So <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. What yeah? You know, what what does it take to be an influencer? Oh uh, yeah, I guess yeah. If, if you're influencing two people. You're an influencer. Well, I guess so. And, you know, it depends on how many you get on whether you start being monetized or not, right? Yeah, yeah, that's not happened yet. No, it's the other <laughs> way around. I have to pay. Uh, well, okay, let's, uh, let's talk a little uh, more specifically uh, about, because uh, I think before we, we talk more generally about this generation, you know, like a broad stroke, but I, I have a real interest here in, mm. in, in their view uh, on, on sexuality. Mm. Um, and that's, a, again, that can be a broad term. Um, so let's start there. What, what do you, what have you noticed that is different in the Gen Z generation in the area of sexuality than perhaps previous generations? Well, in particular for you and I, in our generation, there were a lot more sexuality issues that were considered more like taboo. I mean, the thing about it is think about this, like, uh, I can't make assumptions for you, but I know for my parents, when I was being raised up, they didn't really talk about sexuality, right? You, right. Uh, this is why schools started doing quote sex ed and things like that. But I think the f- interesting thing. So when you talk about Gen Z, for instance, and even sexuality, because they're digital natives, you and I are digital immigrants, right? Mm-hmm. So, but they're digital natives. They have been, I hate to say it this way. They've been, they've been born with uh, digital technology almost in their hands. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to their sexuality or any other thing, so this goes back to your expert comment too, they're getting a lot of their education on sexuality and things like that through social media. Uh, so there's actually, and I'll, we might get to this a little bit later, but um, Mark Yarhouse uh, of Wheaton, he does some great work on sexuality and uh, all the issues that are uh, that we're wrestling with. And, but there's also this concept, and I think he, he references this, of a concept of social contagion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll make this in a simple concept for how you and I, um, people would argue and say, oh, there's no such thing as social contagion. But let's go back to even our generation. If there was no such thing as social contagion being influenced by society and social things, why were commercials so effective? I mean, mm-hmm. why do people spend millions of dollars to advertise in the Super Bowl for a 30 second spot, right? Because they are trying to socially influence you to buy, buy their chips or buy their product, right? The problem is we don't have 30 second blips anymore on TV. Our Gen Z folks have social contagion always going on around them, right? They're constantly being bombarded by messages. So uh, depending upon what perspective they buy into is sort of like our own personal bias. There's a thing called anchoring bias, right? It's kind of our belief system that we're anchored in. And so if a young person has a proclivity to be, have a certain uh, anchoring bias, that's kind of how they're going to shape their opinions and their perspective, not through experts, but through social media who they consider experts. Mm-hmm. So that's even true when it comes to sexuality. So how, how long have you been teaching at 
uh, to go false call. Uh, so I've been working here six years. We'll go from there. Oh, okay. <laughs> what what kind of, in those six years? What what conversations are happening in mm-hmm. in a, a Christian institution like this that mm-hmm. uh, it is it kind of you know requiring you to to rapidly adjust as a as a leadership and um, uh, how are they adapting? How are you adapting and and speaking to these changes? Because even as someone from the outside, I, I still have, you know, connections with the college. My son-in-law uh, works there. My daughter lives there on the campus. And, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm hearing a lot about, you know, confusion and dysphoria and, you know, even, even movements, you know, the, 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 the discussion about starting little, uh, you know, movements to be recognized and, uh, so yeah, just uh, g- generally, how do you, uh, how are you all adapting? And well, uh, boy, that's a, a loaded statement it is. because yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you have things that are, of course, college uh, policy uh, that are, of course, guided by our Christian worldview, but that is becoming more and more in conflict with things like uh, I believe it's Title Nine. Um, is either Title Nine or Title Ten? I don't remember, but it's. You know, uh, we've had to ask questions when it comes to housing, for instance. The fascinating thing about how these things get packaged in a secular culture is like, for instance, what do you do at a Christian college when uh, you accept federal funds uh, to help students with their education, but then you have to have equal housing and equal housing is now defined as you could put somebody who identifies as a woman who's a biologically a man, but identifies a woman and, and they request, you know, female housing. That's a real challenge for Christian institutions. So that's the institutional part of it, right? How do we, mm-hmm. fortunately right now, uh, so far, um, Christian institutions uh, of higher education seem to be a little guarded from that, but that could change, right? Mm-hmm. Where, it, you almost feel like you're swimming against a huge stream because if you, you and I go back, you remember when a certain administration talked about we're not out to define the de- or to change the definition of marriage, and yet here we are, yeah. right? And right. not even not even ten years later. Um, so if that happens in colleges and we're out to de- redefine the definition of gender, then that you know that creates a whole new quagmire. Yeah, and you can wait until it happens and figure it out, or you prepare in advance. So, how how are institutions like yours preparing for this? Well, I think that's where you have uh, larger organizations, and I'm not too much into this administrative part, so I'm not sure how to handle all this. But I think being part of the CCCU uh, gives us some legal uh, weight to say that you know our perspective is based on religious grounds, uh, and it is a Christian institution. But this is why you have people on the other side trying to fight and say, well, you know, Christian or religious institutions shouldn't get any kind of, you know, federal protection. But you have to have it right. Uh, Because and what keeps us from being martyred next, which may happen, interestingly Mm -hmm. enough, over the issue of sexuality. Right. Um, So I think the best you can do is is try and lean into uh, the legal support that you get uh, under those protected you know, statutes and stuff. So I can't answer that. What I can say is, and this is where it gets kind of strange. Um, more and more, what we're doing, is, we're seeing this. You can probably read the news reports about uh, people who are being turned down 
from particularly religious organizations that for employment for religious organizations that can't uh, that go against the gender the gender beliefs that are being presented are going against their their religious convictions. Yeah, uh, and then they're being sued for it. Right. So you know, and it's not just. I mean, I hate to say this, but we think about it now. The 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 baker in Colorado who kept getting all this pressure. Right. The yeah. interesting thing about that is that keeps becoming a battle and it's because there's trying to be, you know, ground gained through that so that then therefore it can be expanded and go to Christian organizations that refuse to, you know, uh, acquiesce on their conscious beliefs. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, it's inevitable that it's, it's going to, you know, an institution like, like Tacoa Falls will, will have to face this and, and mm. and deal with it and and it's it's fascinating too that um i mean this this comes out of um you know i often say that you know you do what you do because of what you believe and if you if you change what you believe mm. then you can do what you want to do and and we're seeing that with progressive christianity yeah. and and so you know we can talk mm. about this being an outcome of of something mm. larger and that's the yeah the re- redefining of the gospel. Mm. And, um, and if, if a college, you know, a Christian college is, is deeply committed to, you know, maintain the integrity of the gospel, right. it's likely there will be, uh, you know, challenges and, and persecution. Yeah. And, and perhaps the concern we're seeing is the bending is happening yeah. uh, on our stance with the gospel. Uh, your, yeah. your thoughts on that? Well, I think that's the shame of it is when you look at it, uh, the culture has been very good at causing the church to be divided on this, right? Mm-hmm. So when you have a more conservative church yeah. and then you have a liberal church, then of course the culture is going to look at the liberal church and say, well, they see they support us. So what's your problem, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so there's there's division. Mm-hmm. I mean, and the, the interesting thing about this is um, we're being divided over issues of sexuality. I, to go back, the genius of I don't, you know, um, people don't like using the term nowadays. And this is, again, even how we've been slanted a little bit. People don't like use the, use the term of like an agenda, right? Yeah. But the, let's, so let's call it sexual politics, right? So the idea of moving sexual politics from the arena of morality to civil rights is genius because, mm-hmm. right? I mean, and this is the thing. Um, now, Gen Z, it's actually, actually been said that Gen Z considers Christian morality re- repugnant now think about that statement christian morality is repugnant in the eyes of gen z and even millennials as they go mm-hmm. into that well in the, the, the if you think about it christian morality it it has been the basis of the founding of this country well that's being shifted right yeah, yeah. And, you know we are moving out of christendom even not even so we're definitely post-christian we're definitely post-christendom um and so the fact of the matter is it is going to make it harder when churches are fighting against each other because you have no support within your own body yeah so yeah and you and you have you have this distinction between the agenda uh versus individuals who have a proclivity to this or you know so these are you know genuinely uh honest you know, young people who want to serve the Lord, but have this, and I think we need to recognize that there is this reality of this personal struggle with, with sexuality, regardless of how it's been influenced and, and promoted and normalized, there's still that individual struggle. So how, how does, uh, how can a, uh, a Christian college or the mm-hmm. church 
uh, help those those who do genuinely struggle. And they're not they're not out for some political agenda right. or or right. motive in that sense. They're, but it is it's a sin issue. It's a it's a gospel yeah. issue. Yeah. I think it's it's harder to look at that from an institutional response. So let me backtrack mm-hmm. and just say that I think it's it's easier to look at it from an individual response. And then I think if the institution mm-hmm. can take a healthy individual response, then I think we can accomplish something. Right. So here's what I've had. I've had discussion with my sons because they are Gen Z. Uh, and so the discussions I've had with them is, look, I will always be your dad. And, you know, my kids are adopted. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll always be your dad. I'll always love you. And here's the thing, um, like right now, because let's talk about sexuality. I won't say which son, but actually uh, I've had a situation where let's let's go away from even homosexuality. The, the issue of uh, your kids cohabitating, mm-hmm. right, heterosexually. I have told my sons, I don't agree with this. Uh, it's mm-hmm. not right, but I still love you anyway. Right. And so I think that's the same concept when it comes to homosexuality or uh, transsexual, whatever it may be. The fact of the matter is, as individuals, as moms and dads, we have to tell our kids, I don't, I don't agree with what you're doing. Um, I love you and I support you. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that's an important distinction. Uh, now here's the problem where the argument is twisted on that even is like those who are in an, in a, a political, uh, sexual, a sexual po- policy, po- politics, I think they would say, as a large group argument, they would say, but if you love me, you'll love everything about me. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost, it, yeah, it, we, we hear the word affirming and uh, it's almost, I'm sensing that our saying, I love you and support you regardless is being heard as I won't accept that support and that love unless you affirm and, everything and, about me. Yeah, for and for believers, particularly parents, that's a very sticky place yeah. to be uh, because you know your heart intent is yeah, I love you no matter what. You're my son. You're my daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they're saying yeah, but if that was true, then you would be okay with what I'm doing, right? And uh, and that's where uh, yeah, I mean my response to that when it comes up is my allegiance to Jesus mm-hmm. uh, dictates how that love is expressed. And, and sometimes that expressing that love expressed is that, Hey, this is sin. Mm. It, it's dangerous. And, you know, your heart can change, you know, and let's talk about that. Yeah. Um, I, so I go back to a little personal illustration with that with, again, I won't mention my son's names or who did what <laughs> for their <laughs> sake. Uh, but one of my older sons actually got into an argument with one of my younger sons and when they were younger, my older son put the younger son's head through the wall, through the drywall, mm. right? They got in a fight and they did that now. And what I use that as an example of is I still love both of you, but obviously that action mm-hmm. that the, what you did in your anger and your emotion and your feeling was wrong. Does yeah. that mean I don't love you anymore? No, I obviously disagree with something that was wrong. So I try and use more simplistic arguments like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and listen, I turn it to and say, look, I guarantee you there are things that I do that you you don't agree with that you think is wrong, but I still know that you love me. Yeah. So we've, we've got to be able to separate those arguments because that's where the confusion comes in and all the, the rapid, quick paced, muddy arguments. Right. Yeah. And you have to break it down sometimes and slow it down. So wait a minute, let's think about this. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's good. I love that illustration. 
Um, get your reaction to, I think Barna uh, came out with this. I, I found it at two different sources, but and I'll read this and get your reaction that researchers found that among unbelieving unchurched Gen Z, 41% of them see gender as based on feelings. Yeah. Only 35 saw that a person's sex at birth is primary. One in 10 view sexual attraction as the primary factor in determining identity. Sure. Yeah. And here's the interesting thing about this, uh, where that takes root in is when you have a culture of what I would call, again, fluid post-modernity, there is a, a rejection of truth. And part of this rejection, it's a long story. I don't have time to mm -hmm. get into it, but at some point, you know, your and I generation, generation before felt like science would have a lot of the answers and would cure what ails us, right? Well, we've discovered that's not true because we still have wars. We find ways to destroy people, you know, with bigger bombs and weapons. And so people look at that and say, well, science doesn't have the cure. So that's cognitive, right? So what's my next right. response? My next response is, well, truth must come from feelings. And of course, we know. So when you undermine truth and you have no foundation, you have no anchor, literally, this is why it's fluid. You're just, mm -hmm. you know, the scripture talking about being tossed about by the waves, right, is very appropriate right. because our feelings change, right? And so our feelings have no, no stability grounded in truth. And so therefore it become, it can become very deceptive. So we have a culture now that, and then this goes back and forth. We always, the, here's the sad part about humanity is we always try and put our, our anchor in something that will constantly change, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of putting our anchor in the God who doesn't change. And so this is the, this is the point when we don't put our anchor in something that doesn't change some higher authority, then of course we're going to be tossed about. And of course, this is why we're our culture and country is getting more and more divided. Yeah. Right. You have some who still have a perspective of truth and you have some that have a perspective of feelings. Now, they will say that their truth is found in their feelings until they realize, you know, five, 10 years later, there's, it's not true. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So the other interesting thing, too, I don't know if you heard this, but the Pew Research, too, shows that about 21 percent of Gen Z's, 21 percent are either atheist or agnostic. Mm. Mm. So it's not even nuns anymore. It's atheists yeah. or agnostic. Wow. It's a huge, wow. huge, huge fluid movement. Yeah. Well, I, I, when when we met a couple of weeks ago, and I think you you just referred to it as well uh, in in something mm -hmm. you described that that culture has had to you know we always talk about the church being challenged and right. and uh, having to respond. Culture has as well. Mm -hmm. and, um, and but we're you know. For the purpose of this interview, we're concerned about the church and how does the church address these things. Mm -hmm. um, if if you you know if, if if someone says and I've heard this before, you know what's the big deal? You know if someone wants to live the way the way they want, they're not hurting anybody. You know um, yeah. they, they want to be happy, or yeah. you know you expect them to be you know if they're homosexual, yeah. you expect them to be alone for the rest of their life. Right. How how does that get addressed when that comes up, particularly in the in the Gen Z community? Yeah, uh, again, boy, you have a lot of good loaded questions. Yeah. <laughs> I think for me, what I look at is I go back to some of the foundational arguments. So let me put your statement a different way, right? People used to say, well, what two loving adults do in the privacy of their bedroom is their own business, as if it would stop there, right? Yeah. But it didn't, because again, now we get into social contagion. You know, you look at the number of 
um, for instance, TV shows and things like that, that kids are watching, right? You look at the number of homosexual interactions and characters, that number is far higher than the actual statistic of actual homosexual people. Mm. So the point being is it doesn't stay in the bedroom like they're claiming. Matter of fact, I mean, I have said this uh, just because studying culture, I try and look at what's coming next. Right. Mm -hmm. And so for me, one of the things I was saying uh, years ago, I was like, look, if this happens, there are several things that could happen uh, just projecting. Right. Number one, we're going to start seeing teenage homosexuality. Mm -hmm. Boy, that's ever true. Right. And, and even some shows by the subu, the CW, which a lot of Gen Z watch, there's definitely a lot of more tra- more portrayal, not just homosexuality, but homosexual attraction and even some actions that aren't graphic. But uh, I remember watching a show with my son, my middle son. This has been five, six years ago. We were watching a, son, a show he really liked. And about the fifth, fourth show into it, you have two teenage girls starting to make out in a sexually provocative mm-hmm. way um, on this TV show. Mm-hmm. And so you, it's not restrained to the ba- uh, bedroom. It's not two yeah. people just loving each other's own thing. No, it influences culture. And we're now, so when you have, you know, 10 year olds that are being celebrated for being transsexual because they're yeah. brave, they don't yeah. know Jack Diddley about their sexuality. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, that's crazy. Yeah. This is a, a, a pastor. We, I, I meet with a group of pastors here in town and we we're talking about this subject and, uh, one of the pastors shared that his middle, middle school son, they were talking about dating, and uh, this is almost the exact quote. The son said, Dad, there are a few girls to date in middle school. Half of them are bisexual. Um, and it's, it's become so popular that it's, you know, it's the thing to do. It's, uh, yeah. it's probably some, some kind of badge of honor. You know, how, how, how true do you feel like that? I mean, it's probably a little exaggerated to say half are, but how, yeah, how prevalent do you think this is in the middle school age group? Uh, oh boy. So I think it's prevalent in the sense of reality and that kids are talking about it, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure it's prevalent in the fact of they are actually defining who they are yet. Mm-hmm. So in other words, okay, so here's the reality. By the time kids get in the depending upon the culture by the time kids get in seventh definitely eighth grade they are for lack of a better word they're sexually aware right of their their who they you know just puberty and all that stuff happening right yeah the problem is that teenagers are very curious preteens even adolescents entering into sexuality they're curious so when they're seeing all this social contagion stuff they're like well why not try it right Mm -hmm. It's sort of like the same thing with take it away from sexuality. You see people smoking pot all the time. Why not try it? Right. Because yeah. kids are, here's the problem. The prefrontal cortex, which is the part of the brain that is designed for logical decision-making is not fully developed until they're 24. Mm-hmm. So logically, even they don't know what they're engaging in. Nobody talks about sexual imprinting. I used to, I used to use a joke with my kids to kind of talk about this a little bit. I'm like, look, if your first sexual experience is with a gorilla, you're always going to have a thing for gorillas. <laughs> it's, it sounds crazy, but it's to let them know that what you do with sexuality is very, yeah. got to be careful because I'm not sure. I mean, yeah, there may be some, there could be a genetic proclivity, but why is it that these sexual uh, trans, transsexual homosexual, all these things, why is it that it is growing in such large numbers? It's not because we're not aware. We've been talking about it for goodness yeah. sakes since the eighties, right? Yeah. 
So you can't say it's all more people are coming out. No, it's more people are being influenced by culture, uh, social contagion, and just pure imprinting and curiosity. So when you have eighth grade guys and girls or girls that are saying, well, I'm bisexual, I don't think they really know what that means. Yeah. Yeah. They're acting out on cultural influence. But but then if they follow through on it, there's that imprinting that that can be very uh, damaging and, and sure. confusing. Yeah. And that's interesting, too, because the, I think this is why the the culture is going after our young people, because number one, mm-hmm. their, the, the, the primary task of, of adolescence is identity formation. That is the primary task. Mm. So if we can slip these things in, when I say we, I mean the culture, the culture mentality, if we can slip these things in their identity formation, it makes them more accepting of us, whether they go that route or not, it makes them more accepting us. Cause it's okay. Wow. Well, this is a, uh... Again, a heavy subject. Um, how would you? What would you say to uh, to encourage? Uh, yeah. You know, because I, I can imagine people listening to this just feeling uh, overwhelmed, just heavy, overwhelmed. Um, yeah. What what word of encouragement uh, do you have? And and perhaps even to a, a parent or a grandparent of yeah. of a child who's who's going through these things. Yeah, I think, uh, you, number one, you always go back to the word of God, right? But not in an abusive way. I think you can go back to the word of God and say, well, what does it mean to love somebody who who obviously I disagree with uh, right. in a sinful life? Here's the fact of the matter. We're all sinful, right? We all need Jesus Christ. I've had to wrestle with that a little bit. And like I said, I've even told my sons, look, even if you come out and say I'm gay, I'm still going to love you, but you need to know and you do know that I don't agree with that. Doesn't mean I stop loving you because we have disagreements. Families have disagreement all the time. They still love each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you still have to um, let them know that you love them, but there is truth. Mm-hmm. And I think, honestly, even though we talk about Gen Z, and fl- I think what's going to come back in the long run is that fluid culture is going to implode. And what I mean by that is eventually because people are going to get tired about by being tossed about by the waves and stuff. They're going to want to find something eventually that is solid. Yeah, yeah, like the pendulum is swinging back. Uh, yeah, to the yeah. and you, yeah. and parents, grandparents, you will be that. You'll be the anchor that they're yeah. looking for. Yeah, amen, amen. Yeah, and and uh, being unapologetic about the gospel mm-hmm. that the gospel uh, right. addresses sin for a reason, and that is right. to to bring about freedom. Uh, you know, and I, I, I shared with you that I, this morning in my devotions, I, I read from Galatians and I, I want to read this, um, again, as an encouragement, uh, Galatians four, four and five about Jesus being born, uh, under the law to redeem those under the law. And then the end of the, the statement, so you're no longer a slave, but a son. And, uh, you know, to, to recognize, I mean, what the gospel mm. does is in particularly in this issue is I'm a slave to this. I'm, yeah. I'm bound by this, but Jesus came, uh, as first Corinthians, uh, five I think says he who knew no sin became sin for us so that yeah. we might become the righteousness of mm. God. Uh, so, you know, maybe an encouragement for people is don't, don't apologize yeah. Uh, for the gospel, uh, understand the power of the gospel right. and, and what it does. Uh, speak truth, but but keep loving, I think would be a great way maybe to, uh, uh, to wrap yeah. ourselves around this. For sure. And, and Mitch, I think one of the things I would go back to, uh, you know, if I had a son that is 
you know, let's just talk again about the cohabitation, right? Mm-hmm. One of the things I tell my sons all the time is, look, you are more than your sexuality. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate that we have a whole culture that is now feeling like people That's are the defining themselves by only one yeah. part of who they are. And it's yeah. such a small part of who they yeah. are, right? So, yeah, I want to encourage them to say, you know, if you want me, I want to be able to accept you for, for being a holistic person, not just mm-hmm. one reject mm-hmm. or accept you based on one part of who you are. Yeah. So yeah. I think yeah, that's, I mean, when you adopted that. your, your sons, you adopted them, you know, you, right. you didn't, there was, there were no conditions, you know, like right. the, you, you're going to have, you're probably hearing my dog barking. Can you? It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> Very it's distracting. Awesome. Uh, well, this yeah. has been great, Rich. Any uh, any final thoughts? Uh, just keep studying, keep loving people. Mm. Um, just remember, we're in a, a fluid culture. Uh, at some point, that's gonna, I think, is gonna require stability. I I can't imagine it would go much more fluid, but it could. Yeah, that's, right? that's scary. Yeah. Uh, so just just continue in a fluid culture. If you think mm. about the waves, just continue to be that anchor mm. of love. Yeah. Faith, hope, and love, right? The greatest of these is love. Absolutely. Well, God bless you in what you do. And thank you for, for just giving your life to, uh, uh, to the Lord and, and your burden for this generation is, is very obvious. And I really appreciate it. So thank you. It was a great conversation. Yeah. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Before You Quit. If you have any comments or questions about anything we've talked about today, you can email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. So until next time, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged. 